Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Dylan Bowman. Hope everyone is doing great. A bit of a bonus episode here. What you're about to hear is a live podcast that we recorded a few nights ago at BOA headquarters in Denver, Colorado. It was a star-studded panel to go deep on products, specifically footwear tech, and the design and development process that went into the new GS TAM from Speedland. I moderated this panel and was joined by Speedland co-founders Dave Dombrow and Kevin Fallon. We were joined by Speedland athlete Don Reichelt and the director of biomechanics research from BOA, Mr. Dan Feeney, who had a ton of great contributions on how product impacts how our bodies move and perform out on the trails. We talk about the science of fit, the prototyping and iteration process to arrive at a finished product, integrating athlete feedback in that process, what we know and what we don't know about how carbon plates impact trail performance, We talk about what sets the GS TAM apart in a crowded trail footwear marketplace and how Don used a prototype of the GS TAM to set three world records just about a week ago. We had about 80 people in attendance for this live taping. It was awesome. We did a fun happy hour beforehand. And then at the end, as you'll hear in this podcast, we launch into a Q&A with the audience who had some great questions for our panelists. Couple disclaimers here at the beginning. First, my audio is a little wonky for the first 20 minutes of this podcast. There wasn't anything we could do to fix it after the fact. So thanks for tolerating a bit of crackly audio at the beginning. We were having trouble with the mics, but the good news is, The guests all sound great throughout and they do most of the talking and my audio does improve after about 20 minutes. Thank you for your understanding. Secondly, you can't really hear the questions from the audience at the end. I should have repeated them for clarity. That's my bad. Still getting better at this live podcasting thing. So I will learn for the next one, but you will be able to deduce from the answers what those questions were. So I figured we'd leave it all in because the audience had some great inquiries for the panel. As a reminder, the GS TAM is available for pre-order now at runspeedland.com. It is the best trail shoe I've ever run in, a product I am very proud to have contributed to, and I know you all will love them. Visit runspeedland.com and use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off your pre-order. A big, huge thank you to everyone who has pre-ordered the shoe so far. Your business means a lot to us and we don't take it for granted. So thank you very, very much. Thanks also to Kelly Newland from Rad Boulder, Anthony Lee for feeding the whole crew on Thursday night and a huge thanks to BOA for hosting the event. We plan to do a lot more at BOA headquarters. They've got a beautiful space to host podcasts in. So we wanna do more of it in the future. And we are so grateful for their support of the podcast, a free trail as a whole, and also, Uh, being supportive of this GS TAM launch. Finally, if you enjoy the show, please consider joining Free Trail Pro. You'll get a deeper discount on the GS TAM. You can listen to the Rest Day Pod, our new member-only podcast, join our community Zoom calls, and enjoy a lot more perks. Visit freetrail.com, click the button in the top right that says join Free Trail Pro, or you can find the link in the show notes. Okay, thanks for being here. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. Uh, I just wanted to say thank you to both Dave and Kevin at Speedland and also the BOA team for supporting us at Free Trail. 
You guys are great. We need it, and we super appreciate it. So we're going to have a little bit of a conversation about the process of making a beautiful product as a small team here. Of course, like I said, we are here to celebrate the launch of the GS TAM. The hero videos that you just saw, a lot of work went into this, not only from Dave and Kevin. Don Reichel here is Speedland athlete, just coming off a few world records. We'll talk about that. And of course, Dan Feeney, who you saw in the video, who represents the BOA side of the equation here. So welcome, guys. Um, maybe first, let's just go down the line with some quick introductions. Starting with you, Dave, please. All right. Hey, everyone. It's nice to see you. Uh, Dave Dombro, co-founder of Speedland. How, how, how deep do you want me to go on the introduction? <laughs> Give us 30 seconds. Okay, wow, 30 seconds. That's a deep introduction. Uh, anyway, yeah, so uh, Kevin and I, we started Speedland. Uh, our past is we've been in uh, apparel and footwear for a long time. Uh, past lives include places like Under Armour, Puma, Nike, um, you know, doing all sorts of shoes, including running shoes. And we have a passion for the outdoors, passion for trail. And uh, that led us to, uh, you know, go out on our own together and uh, create Speedland. So there's uh, not 30 seconds, but there's an introduction. <laughs> Kevin can add on. He's more of a talker than me. <laughs> oh, now the pressure's on. Uh, I'm Kevin Fallon, uh, co-founder of Speedland. Uh, as Dave mentioned, he and I worked together actually at Nike and again at Puma and then at Under Armour. And uh, so our connection, you know, ran through product and, and a love of this industry. And when it came time to do something new, uh, we were a, kind of a natural pair. And, and Speedland is really the culmination of everything that we love, including the footwear industry and the outdoors. And uh, I think our, our passion is for solving problems for athletes. And uh, that's what led us to start Speedland. We wanted to do something a little bit differently. We saw an opportunity uh, for doing things for the incredible things that the athletes are doing in, in trail. And uh, they were a little underserved. So Speedland is really an attempt to, to make better products for, for these athletes. Thanks guys. My name is Dan Feeney. I'm the director of biomechanics lab here. I see a number of our testers in the audience, which is super awesome. Thanks for coming out. I started BOA about five years ago and I started a biomechanics lab for BOA with the idea that if something fits better, it should perform better. And the whole purpose of our lab is really to quantify that and then to work with brands like Speedland to make sure that the products that get to market are absolutely optimized as best they can. I have a PhD and a master's in biomechanics. I also ran in college and still run a lot. And so super excited to talk about this particular product. Dan, what's your marathon PR? It's 2.23. <laughs> That's fast. Hey, I'm Don Reichelt. I am a Speedland athlete. And uh, I'm just thinking about this. Dave, Kevin, and I had our first conversation almost exactly two years ago, like this week, uh, give or take. But um, have had incredible experiences in the Speedland shoes, most recently setting three world records in a version of the new pair. And... Um, can't wait to talk more about the new shoe. It's absolutely incredible. Thank you, guys. And before we get to deeper into the conversation, I also wanted to say that we'll probably be up here for, I don't know, 40 or 45 minutes talking shop about the product, about the sport, et cetera. And I'd love to open it up to Q&A at the end. So think of questions that you have, maybe about product, Dave and Kevin are industry titans. Obviously, Dan's a very smart, science-oriented person. A lot of myself are athletes, so if you have questions, we'll open that up at the end and you can 
think about that throughout the conversation. Um, but maybe Dave and Kevin, going back to you guys, maybe go a little deeper on the origin story. I know you guys felt that there was an opportunity in trail that coming from sort of the bigger brands and the established institutions of footwear and performance as friends and collaborators for so many years, like what made you want to tackle the trails? You start watching. Well, I think there's a few answers to that, but one of them is certainly, you know, big brands do things a certain way and, um, that's not always best for the athletes. You know, there's a product cycle of creation that's necessary for the scale and the way that these big brands do business, but it's not, again, necessarily the best way to get to the best product. And, and, you know, things like having to redesign a product before the product you're redesigning is even in the marketplace and, um, cost cutting that happens right from the beginning, just due to the, the nature of, wholesale and and that kind of environment where, you know, things like sock liners, like those are things that aren't really very good and typical product because they're easy to save money there and spend it somewhere else. And I think we really wanted, to, we believe that there was an, a, a really good opportunity for us to do things differently, to make better product by not compromising on things, by not focusing so much on price, by focusing on what the athlete demands are and solving those problems. So when we looked at what trail runners were doing, running 100 miles, 200, 200 plus miles, or running for 24 hours straight, um, that's not best served by some product that's made for a price point for a big brand. And that's what we wanted to do better. And um, we, we really wanted Speedland to be about this no compromise approach and delivering product that help athletes um, have their best performances. I'll just add on to that a little bit. Uh, you know, this is all about truth up here tonight, so I'm just giving you the real, the real facts. And uh, at big brands, I would say a lot of um, R&D is put towards road running. And we saw you know, an opportunity and a white space to put a lot of R&D towards trail running. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, so, you know, a lot, Mark Dynamics, road running is you know, the lion's share. Um, and although trail running's growing, uh, it's, you know, it's obviously doesn't compare from a market dynamic. So we just saw an opportunity where, as Kevin said, uh, athletes like Don and Dylan are doing amazing things. And how could we support that and really be ultra focused on what we were doing? Thank you, guys. Dan, earlier this afternoon, we were talking about footwear tech. I know you're a shoe guy. And we were talking about considerations that brands have to make with yield to toe drop, weight, some trade-offs that sometimes you have to make. Maybe elaborate on that. Thanks, Dylan. Yeah, you said we had 45 minutes, so I <laughs> might be able to finish. No, only kidding. I, I've been fascinated by how we move for a long time, which is why I did a PhD in biomechanics. And I think one of the things, especially as being an athlete, is understanding what's a gimmick and what isn't. And one of the things that Dylan and I were talking about earlier today, and then um, Kevin and Dave and I have talked about before as well, is there's a lot of things that you hear about marketed with footwear. So one of the primary things that almost every shoe that comes out, you hear the weight the shoe. And I think one of the most interesting things about that is there's research dating back to the 1950s about how much weight it takes to truly make an impact on performance. So everybody here is probably pretty familiar with the Nike 4% study. In that shoe, they found that people could run 4% more economically with the shoe relative to a previous version of Marathon Flat. In 1959, this group out of Italy found that it takes 100 grams to actually decrease someone's running efficiency by 1%. 
100 grams for 1%. That's pretty crazy, that's a lot. One of the other really interesting findings uh, that was actually done out of CU Boulder in 2002 was that a lot of people, you know, if you take this to the extreme, if they ran without a shoe, then theoretically they should be the most efficient. But most people actually were less efficient when they dropped their shoes. Not surprising for anybody that's tried running without a shoe. It's hard. So what that means to me is there's some optimal amount of footwear that goes into it and having a little bit of mass in the shoe can be a good thing, especially when the mass is added to add support or propulsive forces or anything like that. And so I think one of the big myths that I like to dispel with some of the research that we've done and some of the research that's out there is that lighter isn't always better. There's the right amount of mass and that really depends on the goal of the shoe. And I think additionally, when you think about the drop of the shoe, Every shoe has a drop that's advertised based on the unweighted heel-to-toe drop. But when you stand in a shoe, almost every shoe is gonna have a negative heel-to-toe drop. Moreover, if you look at some of the research when people are running in a zero, a four, an eight, or a 12 millimeter drop, all that tends to happen is people tend to adapt their strides to now deal with this new geometry of the midsole. So what happens is if you have a low drop shoe that just puts a little bit more emphasis on your calf, your posterior leg muscles. If you have a high drop shoe, it puts more emphasis on your knees. Neither is inherently better. It really just depends on working out for you. And I think this is one of the key things here is this is why shoes like the um, Speedland shoes where you can take a plate in and out, you can do a lot of different modulating factors, you can cut the outsole. This is really a game changer because now within one shoe, you can find the ultimate solution for yourself. We'll talk more about the, the plate and shoe tech. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that for our time here, but maybe Don, to bring you into the conversation, you and I were both heavily involved in the testing and development of the GSTM. So maybe from the athlete perspective, talk about that prototyping, testing, providing feedback. Yeah, I think the whole process is, is really fascinating gathering feedback figuring out what feels good what doesn't and um, I've worked literally since the first runnable pro tape, prototype of the SLPDX um, just talking to Kevin and Dave about what I felt on each run I remember the first run I ever did in, in the Speedland I called them up five minutes later and said here's what I felt uh, here's what, what I'm thinking and we made some changes based on that so fast forward now a year and a half later to the GS TAM this shoe is so dialed in because of the ability of Dave and Kevin to listen to the athlete. I don't think it's, it's any, it's not any magic formula. It's that you have two brilliant shoe designers that are willing to take the feedback of people that are out here putting in thousands of miles. I just rolled over 2000 miles in the GS TAM and it's, it's incredible. And it's just a testament to Kevin and Dave. It's a testament of the athletes of, of you, Dylan, and everybody else that's been spending time in this shoe because with the size of the company of Speedland, our voice matters and the voice of the athlete has shown through in this shoe. And I truly believe that every athlete that puts this shoe on their foot is going to feel that. And they're going to feel that passion that has gone into it from, from my feet, from your feet, Dylan, to Dave and Kevin's fingertips in their workshop, because it, uh, it's magical. Is your process the same as mine where you just take pick a group chat? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's, 
That's instant. Yeah. It's amazing having that. I mean, what, what other companies could we work with? Yeah. That would, like, you could literally text a guy that could two minutes later make a change and be like, okay, we know how to fix that already. Yeah. Maybe this is a fun avenue of conversation here. So maybe back to Dave and Kevin, being a two-man team and having the... Uh, I don't know, the flexibility or just like the ability to make quick decisions and make quick changes. How does that compare to maybe the different organizational architecture you're dealing with at the big brands? What advantages there and maybe also what disadvantages? You want to start that one? Yeah, I'll start it. We'll tag team this one. Um, I mean, we work, I would say, very, very differently. As in the actual shop, there is just us. And uh, we, well, first of all, Kevin is a, he won't say it himself, so I'll say it for him. He's a very good builder. So we get into building mock-ups and prototypes very, very fast. And so we'll take the athlete feedback, whether that's associated to drop, propulsion, fit, and we'll actually build different configurations within our shop and literally test them real time. like. Don or Dylan could give us feedback, we might have another prototype to them the next day. Like, here you go, this is what you said, let's try it, see if it works. Um, we just did that for uh, Avery Collins the other day on something and came back with feedback instantly. So it's like real-time feedback. We're constantly getting texts directly. That is completely different than our experience in the past. But that's the only way we know to work to get stuff done efficiently. So we can do stuff in a pretty rapid, and that kind of goes back to the whole, this GSTAM. And I mean, really, this was an insight within almost the same week or two between Dylan, uh, Don, and Liz, um, who's another, Liz Canty, who's another speed athlete, saying we want a little more cushion. And that was only a year, a year ago. So going from a ground up insight to having something that's out coming out very soon and within a year, that's, if you guys know the industry, that's actually pretty fast. So Kevin, you can, I'm talking too much. No, I, I, I think that's uh, to your question, Dylan, that one of the big differences at the big brands is um, just that, like when you get into those positions, you get further away from the athletes and it gets difficult to have that immediate feedback from the athlete. It's unfortunate and I, I don't necessarily think it needs to be that way, but for whatever reason, there gets to be, you know, athlete kind of people who handle the athletes and sports marketing and there gets to be layers between, you know, the design team, product development teams and the athletes. And um, then you just get further away from the data you should be looking at, the information you need to make the right products and the right decisions. So we are really careful about that and we make sure that we don't have so many athletes that we can't keep taking the text and we want the right kind of athlete too is gonna to give us the feedback that we can use and that relationship is super important to us. So we're, um, we're you know, that's one of the foundations I would say for Speedland is just making sure that we never get too far away from the athletes so we can make good decisions and ultimately make the best product that we know how. In the spirit of full transparency, what about the opposite, the disadvantages as a two-man team, a self-funded startup, we know how hard that is. And uh, I'm sure there's moments of pure adversity that you didn't experience when you were at Under Armour with the support of a corporate organization. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is when you're a small team, whether it's probably what we're doing or what anybody else is doing out there is you just start to learn you can't do everything, 
right? When you're at a big brand, you can start to be like, yeah, we'll do that, we'll do that, we'll do that. It's like, no, you gotta prioritize and then pick like what's gonna have the most impact and what can we actually get done? Um, because that's, that's what really matters and what goes back to the athlete. So it all, it's pretty focused, pretty central and actually back to your, what we were just talking about, actually everything we do at Speedland is centered around the athlete from our give back to how we have our athletes involved to our product creation, everything cycles around the athlete. So what else would you say about the difficulties? <laughs> yeah, resources I would say is probably one of the yeah. challenges too. Like Dave said, you can't do everything. So you really gotta be hyper-focused and that's making decisions about, okay, do, you know, do we could have done three other shoes next, um, yeah. but we listened to our athletes and uh, that conversation right after Leadville last year with you, Don, was one thing that kicked it off was like, hey, you know, the PDX is working well, but I need a little more cushioning. And so it wasn't us hypothesizing about what should be next. It was listening and it was literally the next week that Dylan, we were still in conversations with you at that yep. point. And it was, you had run in the, the PDX and had similar feedback. And Liz came back, I think the week after that. So we got consistent feedback in a relatively short amount of time that led us to say, okay, this is the right place for us to go. And um, so, you know, that's again, just being really ethic centric, but resources, you know, we don't have the kind of budget to, to be yep. burning the candle on both ends. We're staying really hyper-focused on mountain running and we're making sure we're solving the problems that you guys tell us we need to solve. And just to provide my perspective here, it was about a year ago that we were talking about me joining the team and I said, I'll do it on the condition, make me a shoe with for the races that I like to do, which are, of course, the longer ones. And here we are less than a year later with the best shoe I've ever run in. And it has the free trail logo on it, too. So thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Amazing. So maybe back to Dan now. Talk about your process, you know, from the fit lab and science side of things here at BOA, how you measure things in the lab, how you interface with the product folks, and then how that ultimately ends up on a product like the GS10. Yeah, so we're in a pretty lucky place at BOA where we want to do really good science and we want to make the products that get out to market be just the best performing products that are out there. What that means is the science isn't easy. I think a lot of people have heard gimmicks out there. You've heard claims that are unsubstantiated and we're never gonna live by that. So we have a few aims of our lab and one is we publish a lot of peer reviewed papers. We publish all of our code. We do all of this in the name of transparency because we think it, it keeps us honest. I think on the flip side, almost everyone within the lab is a pretty solid athlete in one sport or another. And so with that, that means that we're really close to caring about what do we, what would we wanna buy at the end of the day? When we think about what we can affect at BOA, we call them configurations, or basically how the different panels lay on top of your foot. And we've probably thought about these configurations more than probably anybody else in the world, I hope. With this, it comes down to geometry, it comes down to materialization, and what are different ways that you can provide structure in different parts of the foot that fundamentally you couldn't do with laces, with Velcro, or with anything else. Then you think about different layers of materialization where maybe you could add different amounts of stretch or different amounts of energy return in different parts of the shoe and really provide a fit that could augment the performance of the rest of the shoe. So we do this typically by working within our walls of BOA. So we have a fantastic CPD or customer product development team where they test a number of different geometries. And then we'll work with a brand like Speedland where we take the shoe, we'll test 10 subjects over the course of a few weeks 
using standardized protocols, and we'll give feedback that's both qualitative and quantitative on how to improve the fit of the shoe. This is something that's really tough to do within the footwear industry. As um, Dave mentioned, it takes about 18 months usually for a shoe to go from ideation to actually being on the shelves. In that 18 months, every day is really jam-packed. So for us to get 10 athletes in the lab, tested, and get feedback to the brand that they can actually use is a really quick turnaround. And that's something that we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And then the last thing is really exactly to the theme that we've been talking about a lot is listening to athletes. At the end of the day, you can have all the best science in the world and you could say, hey, theoretically, the shoe should be really good. I was going to curse. I don't know if we're allowed to curse. Go ahead. <laughs> I was, I was say, don't look at me. Look at your boss. <laughs> Somewhere up there. Uh, so, you know, we could say it's based on all the lab numbers that you saw in the video, this shoe is going to kick some ass. But if athletes don't like it at the end of the day, then who cares? Nobody's going to sell it. And I've worked in running stores. I've dealt with people that are, you know, everybody has a different feeling at the end of the day about how the shoe should fit and feel. And that's what we want to enable. We want to enable a wide variety of people to get the perfect fit. And we want that fit to then match what the absolute rest of the shoe is doing from the traction, the outsole, the propulsivity of the insole and everything else. Dave and Kevin, back to you. Sorry about this, Mike. I'm not sure what's going on here, but. Two down, one to go here. <laughs> so, back to you guys here. Maybe just building off what Dan said, I think Don and myself would both agree, and I know a lot of the feedback from the marketplace has been that the fit is really one of the best things about the Speedland last across all the different products you've produced. How did you guys work with the BOA team to come up with that solution? Yeah, it's actually pretty straightforward, actually. We went back and forth. I mean, when we're talking about fit, we really went back and forth with BOA um, constantly, actually, with many different iterations and trials. And, you know, that's why when we look at this, uh, uh, it was really a partnership at the deepest level um, is the, the way we look at it, because it wouldn't look like it looks right now on the configuration if it wasn't for BOA. <laughs> and that's the truth. And we've just had a really great working relationship back and forth with BOA and relying, as far as we're concerned, BOA is the experts in, as they know more about it than anybody else. So why wouldn't we rely on partnering and working with the experts? You know, that that's exactly our approach and how our, our mindset was. I would just go one step further back and say when Dave and I were conceptualizing Speedland and conceptualizing the first product, it was really like our different approach was what's the best of everything that we can put into this shoe? That was like our, our mission, right? So what are the best foams? What's the best traction? And we, and, and the, and fit was certainly one of the highest priorities for us We're, we've been believers even since uh, past uh, careers that better fit is better performance. It's pretty intuitive, right? If you're not slopping around, if that, that shoe feels like an extension of your body, you're going to perform better. And so for us, it was immediate that it would have a BOA type fit system. So early on, right from the beginning, it's had BOA. It's not like we experimented. We know from our 25 years in the industry that when BOA is done right, we believe it's the best. Now, so 
having said that, we did go through multiple iterations. It's one thing to design the shoe, right, on a piece of paper and say, uh, this looks like it's gonna work well. And we did mock up a lot of stuff and I've gotten pretty good at building with BOA as well. I could probably uh, help out here if you guys need. But uh, we got a lot of, uh, let's say, fine tuning help on lace angles and strap angles and things that um, we know pretty well, but they know extremely well. And so they gave us really good input that helped us optimize this fit. And then it was really the athletes, the testing that validated this. You know, again, it's one thing to get that shoe. It's one thing for Bo to tell you that this is the right way to do it. But when we got consistently great feedback from the athletes, like, oh, this fits like nothing else. And that the two boas, you know, you could look at it and say, there's one, people do it with one boa. Why are you guys using two? Well, I mean, there's a real reason for that, right? I mean, you get better fit when you can zonally control the shoe, especially over a long distance race. Your feet are changing. The terrain is changing. You might want this heel fit at one moment, your forefoot differently at another, and you want to switch it up quickly and easily. And there's nothing else that can do that. So for us, right from the beginning, this was the solution. And then it was that close partnership, Dan and the team here, the really big team team that helped us optimizing that fit that that led us to this and you know we really didn't then have to change it all that much for the GS TAM we had a proven fit system so we changed some materialization but really continuing to uh, rely on that dual LI2 closure that's worked so well and just optimize it for the GS TAM. So Don maybe back to you now I think one of the things I'd love to get across is the versatility of the shoe. It sort of comes across in the video, using the plate certain times, taking it out other times. From what I understand, you had a fairly sophisticated process at Leadville this year with your GS TAM prototype. So maybe you could use that as a lens through which you could explain that versatility. Yeah, so the versatility of, of this shoe, it, it, it's really special because it, the shoe runs fast and you can get up and move. And um, Dylan, I know you, you know how to run fast on, on your Mount Tam trails really well, but every once in a while, even the best of us have a day where you're gonna slow down quite a bit. So uh, this year at Leadville, I had all the intentions in the world of running in the shoe with the plate and moving fast and uh, ultra life happened and my stomach went out and it turned into a, a bit of a slog. And, Literally a moment where I was having a bit of a pity party, having a, having a good cry, and uh, I was sitting in a chair, and my, my crewmate, Taylor, literally just, I just put my feet out, and he popped the, popped the shoes off. They, they were taking the plates out of the, the TAM and popped it right back on my foot, and I was up ready to go again, knowing that I'm probably going to be moving a little bit slower than I wanted to, and the fit and feel of of the shoe plateless for me feels a little better at those slower paces. Um, and at that point, the best I could do is optimize how it's going to feel. And I know I liked it a lot better without that plate. So, uh, but to be able to do that, like in that instant, and I thinking back, I, I, I put it on the HSV for a little bit up over Hope Pass. And then coming back, I, I literally just said, Hey, can we pop that plate out before I put the, the tan back on for the rest of the race? And, um, it was, it was like a, I don't know, 30 second change, changing shoes, taking plates out, putting the shoes back on my feet and we were going. So um, what other shoe in the world can you literally decide it's not your day, but you're going to keep moving and then you can change the fit to your, uh, to your lower gear pace and um, pop them back on and get going. So yeah, just an incredible experience that 
no other shoe in the world can give you. I'd love for you guys to talk more about that innovation because as far as I know, you were kind of the first people to do it where you could, of course, these super shoes are ubiquitous now, but I don't know of any other super shoe where you can actually take the carbon plate out when you don't want to use it. And to me, it feels like it's basically two different shoes in one where I can put the plate in when I'm ripping intervals or doing hill repeats. And as Don said, on the easy days, recovery days, take the plate out. And it feels just like a highly cushioned recovery shoe. Where did that innovation come from? There's the, that's true. There's two, there's a couple, a couple things on that one. Um, one is the material itself, you know, we aren't, we don't look at trail the same as road. In other words, we're not a big brand who's doing a ton of stuff on the road and then we just try to adapt it for the trail. We're focused on the trail only. And what we see is the super rigid carbon plates in, in road shoes don't really work that well on the trail. Now, if the trail is a gravel road and relatively flat, it's probably fine. But when you're talking off camber stuff and with rocks and, and you know, big ups and big downs, you need something a little bit differently. So what we found in this Carbotex material was an asymmetric carbon. So it gave you, it gave you stiffness in the propulsion direction, but total compliance in the other direction. It's a very unique patented material and it maps really well to what we thought uh, would work well for a trail shoe. And we've again, gotten validation and feedback that it, it does work well. So it's, it's not gonna, you know, lever you over and have big ankle issues and turning ankles, which, you know, when we were developing we were testing everything and we were running some of these super shoes on the trail and it was a little scary for for us and so this material was the first thing and then the construction was the second one where because the plate isn't glued in as soon as you glue the plate in you really get kind of a lamination effect and it doesn't allow the material to work in a natural way so by allowing fixing in the heel but allowing it to float it can translate and flex naturally independent of that midsole that it's attached to so by decoupling it from the foam itself, we felt like the carbon can do what it needs to do and the foam can do what it needs to do. And then by making this kind of custom mounting uh, mechanism, we thought, well, you can take it out altogether if you want to. So we really felt like this is a piece of equipment and it probably isn't going to be something everyone experiments with, but the people that want to, it's really unique and it really gives you the chance to tweak it and play with it and find your optimum setting. So whether that's the plate in, plate out, trimming lugs, um, we wanted to open up that opportunity for the shoe geeks and the people who really dial into that type of thing and have that opportunity. And, you know, there's really, as far as we know, no other product that does that. Dan, maybe you can talk about the science side of this. Obviously, the super shoes have been proven out in labs and on the race course, thinking of Elliot Kipchoge and how ridiculously fast everybody's running in these new marathon shoes. What do we know about how that translates to the trail right now, and what don't we know? Yeah, awesome question, and another one that I'd like to spend 45 minutes on. I'll try to keep it short again, though. So way back in 2001, uh, Fila had a racing shoe with a carbon plate, so did Adidas. And at the same time, a footwear researcher out of Canada, Calgary, Ben O'Nig, he did a study where he found that people could jump about 1% higher 
when they put a rigid carpet plate in, which is pretty cool. I know we're really starting from the basics here. So a single jump, 1% higher. For any of the runners in the room, that's great because now it's a little bit less of a laughter when you jump. Maybe you can touch the net of a basketball hoop. From there, basically people had the idea that maybe if you can produce a little bit more power to jump up a little higher, then maybe that could be used in running. So fast forward a few more years in 2008, 2009, you saw a few carbon plates again in road shoes and you saw the combination of those two things could improve performance by about 1%. And again, we're talking about metabolic performance here. So people could be using a little bit less oxygen to run at the same speed by 1%. Again, if you now start thinking about the revolution that happened around 2016, we saw a 4% improvement. And I think what's crazy here is if you think about there was 1% that came from the plate, there was maybe 1% that came from the foam, where did the other 2% came from? And we've been studying this a little bit in our lab and what we found is there's really this crazy interconnected role between plate, between geometry of the shoe and the midsole and the outsole that all are interrelated. And it's really hard to say what each of them does individually. Again, if we're just thinking about on a, a flat road, it seems that the actual shape that you produce force with on your foot and how that maps to your ankle angle might be really the key to, to running fast. Now, that being said, that all gets thrown out the window when you're on the trail. As everybody knows, if you run on a trail, trying to run really fast the same way as you run on the road is not going to work super well. So what we found even in some of the early work that we've done on the trail is that certain runners adapt really well to plates. Certain runners don't adapt really well to plates and it's way more individual. So I don't think just adding a plate is going to ubiquitously going to pr provide a 1% improvement. That being said, we do know if a trail is pretty buffed out or if it's pretty level, then it should provide you a little bit of improvement. And of course, having something rigid there is gonna be a bit of rock protection as well. So it's a, maybe a double benefit. But I think really the key thing here is that it is truly the combination of the plate, of the foam and the fit. And so I think what we see with the GS TAM here is we see a PBAX foam, it's gonna be highly resilient and highly compliant. Those two things together allow you to put a lot of force into it and get a lot of that force out at the right time. When you combine that with a good fit, like Kevin said, if you're wobbling off that sole, you're not going to be, be able to use that energy at the right time. And then when you combine that with the Carbotex plate on the right trail in the right condition, it could make a really impressive shoe. Thank you, Dan. So we've talked about the fit, we've talked about the plates, I think we should talk about the midsole situation because it's also a fairly innovative, complex thing. Can you guys just explain the thought behind the midsole system, the materials, and what makes it novel? Sure, I'll start on that and then can chime in, Kev. Um, so on the, the TAM specifically, we have two midsoles. And, um, oh, sorry, maybe I'll just grab this one. I got one, I got one. And uh, so we have 100% beaded PBACs on the outside. And then we have a super critical um, PBACs blend on the inside, drop in. Yeah, you can model it for me, that's great. And so what you're seeing though is, because you can see how high we wrap up, you're actually kind of sitting in a bucket, which is kind of giving you an added stability factor in this shoe that you won't really find in other shoes because they're not constructed this way, right? The drop-in is sinking quite a bit deep into this and it can do that because it actually has some height itself. As you saw, it's, 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 a, uh, it's a system, like Dylan said. It's not one thing or the other. It's a system that's combining and you're putting that plate 
if you choose to use the plate, right in the middle between the two. So it's a, it's a very unique configuration um, compared to pretty much anything out there. Um, there's not anything that's quite like this build. We get the questions, we had one uh, last night on Instagram, uh, you know, what would you compare it to? And it, it, it struggle a little bit to say exactly what I'd compare it to because the build's so different, you can't really compare it to anything else. Um, and then the combination of foams that we're using is different than anything else as well. Um, hold on a second. Okay. Okay, good. So I just wanted to say a couple of things. Elaborating on the sitting in a bucket and the width of the base of the shoe. Anybody who's known me or followed my career knows that my ankles are a complete mess. And therefore, high stack height shoes are not necessarily what you would want. But the width of the base and the stability of the midsole construction, which I worked very closely with these guys on, makes this a hyper stable shoe. But I think the best thing about the shoe is the durability. The first prototype I got from these guys in April, I put 600 miles in and they weren't even close to being done before they took them back from me to put on display in their office in Portland. What makes this material so durable? Well, again, it's a system, right? So the, the Michelin rubber we think has been a super durable compound. We've had some different compounds that we've played with. Uh, PDX was one compound. We got some feedback from our athletes and people on Instagram. And hey, we you know like the PDX, but maybe the traction could be a little bit better in certain conditions. When we were getting ready for the second commission for the HSV, um, Liz's commission for Huntsville, um, she gave us a similar feedback, consistent feedback again from athletes that the wet rock traction in particular wasn't ideal in the PDX. So we worked with Michelin got the traction to be much improved. I think if anybody's compared the two, there's a noticeable difference. And that's, you know, something we work closely with Michelin on, right? So again, for the GS TAM, finding that balance of what's gonna be sticky and give great traction, but still give good durability. So we landed on something that's really kind of in between the PDX and the HSV for this. Yeah, although it's green like the PDX, it is a different compound. Um, and then the PBAX itself, you know, the beaded has had some challenges in certain environments and we worked, you know, again, putting a lot of miles with the athletes. We don't rely a lot on the mechanical testing. We really rely on the athletes, what happens in, in the environment that this is going to be used in. And we, we did have to make some changes. You know, we saw some accrual jewel with which both Don and Liz ran a uh, brutal course and uh, super tough on product. And we learned a lot by putting those protos out we were a little nervous not gonna lie when you put a prototype on an athlete and they go run a 100 plus mile brutal race and and uh 106 in that case right 33k of vert uh you know we get nervous too and we're there at every aid station that we can get to to make sure things aren't falling apart but that's the way we learn and that's how we kind of get better so we made some adjustments to rubber placements to make sure the the beaded p-backs holds together and, and we adjusted the durometer that's another thing you know we see a fair amount of that type of product on the road um and a lot of it doesn't hold up that well it's really soft which is good in the energy return it may be good for the road but that level of softness in our opinion was um, unstable on trail and so we we adjusted the durometer and and again this system of 
of putting that drop in midsole inside a, a wide but stable base, not having you sort of on top of the tooling, but sitting inside it was a way to keep a high stack, a relatively high stack shoe stable because we for sure know and have heard from athletes, you guys included, that a lot of the stuff that's pretty high can be unstable, tough on your ankles and not maybe give you great confidence in that product. And so that was a very specific problem that we attacked when going into a, a second product for us and a more high stack type of shoe. So, you know, I think the durability comes out of, again, just trying to be really specific. And we carried over the drop-in midsole from the, uh, from the SL because we knew, again, from you guys that really high mileage, we were looking at these midsoles and they weren't packed out. They were still good. We get the question, can you sell us replacement insoles uh, if I wear it out? And we've said, yeah, we will. But it turns out that that's one of the last things to wear out. We've had, you know, other things fail and it's usually a pretty high mileage. So um, it's just not something that we've had to offer to this point because, again, we've we've done our best to select the best quality materials we can for every component and you know it, it costs a, a premium but we feel like the longevity really helps to make up for that price two questions here so i know you guys are car guys and so i want you to explain to our audience here two things number one the GS, because of course the first two commissions were the SL which of course stood for Speedland. So what is the GS from? And also elaborate on the commission model. Where did that come from? What was the inspiration and what are you trying to do with it? Well, yeah, there is a little bit of car inspiration, I guess, behind the naming convention. So we have the GS, which stands for Grand Sport. So that's kind of like, uh, if you think of Grand Touring, they're, they're still super fast uh, automobiles, but they're more about going the distance. And then we have the other SL, which is more about super light or super ligera. It's, it's more of a sports car type of reference, which is more about the nimble, um, which this shoe is. So, so it's kind of the, that's the, the juxtaposition. And then the naming convention, you'll see, um, it's probably good we're clearing this up because we get a lot of questions about this. So. Um, hopefully people listen to this and, and we don't get the questions anymore. So it's the naming convention is obviously GS Grand Sport and then it's always the place after that, right? So we had the HSV for Huntsville, the TAM obviously for Mount TAM, and um, PDX, PDX for Portland. So that's kind of how the naming convention will always lie and that kind of formulates how we, how we name things. There's a system to it and it goes back to the, the uh, athlete in the region and uh, in this case, kind of the distance too that it's set for. The commission um, idea, that is really something that um, we stole it, yeah. we, but we didn't steal it from footwear. We stole it from, uh, goes back to automotive again. There's a company called Singer. Um, they do, if Singer Porsche, so they do these really cool where they'll take uh, an old Porsche and they'll, I guess some people would say, uh, they reimagine it, that's their, their language. Um, but they call them commissions, right? So they'll come and they'll check them out if you haven't seen them, but they do these really beautiful um, Porsches. And they do like the Hong Kong commission or they'll do the Denver commission or they'll do the New York commission. And there's just, uh, they're obviously a one-off, we're not a one-off, but we do do limited runs. And so we wanted each run that we did to be these special things. So when people ask, oh, when are you gonna restock? We're not gonna restock. 
we did a limited run and we actually mean that. It's different, you know, when you see all these restocks from all these companies, we don't restock. So that's kind of the idea that each one of these, we call them commissions. So we're trying to get that, if you want to talk that up, we're trying to get that vernacular going. It's tough. We did see somebody use it the other day on IG. I was like, commission, it's coming through. So it's not a colorway, it's a commission. And um, that's kind of the story behind that. And, and that's what this uh, company called Singer does really beautifully. Um, and that's where that came from. Speaking of the colorway, we are here in Denver, Colorado. I am, of course, a Colorado boy. Dave, can you enlighten the audience as to how we came up with this beautiful shoe? Sure. Any ideas? The colors, they might represent, you know, a team that's in this, in this town. That's where they came from. We started talking about orange and then, and then he's like, yeah, I like the Denver, the Denver Broncos. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. I guess we found our second color. So that's how that, uh, that Navy got on there. And so, you know, we went a little brighter, I think maybe than the, I don't know if it's an exact match, but you get the idea. And then we kept on all of our commissions. We always try to have a hit of our, uh, we call it Speedland green. So that's kind of our red thread, right? That's our brand color is the, is the green, um, that you'll see consistently through. So we think it's a pretty hot color. I don't know what everyone else thinks, but we like it. <laughs> Go Broncos. <laughs> so maybe we'll, we'll wrap up by hearing about Don's recent world record, and then we'll get to some of your questions if you have some. Don, how long has it been now since you were on the treadmill for a whole day? It's been one week since you smashed about a million world records. I'm just going to hand you the mic, and you can tell us all about it. Yeah, so uh, one week ago, at this very time, I was 12 hours into a 24-hour run on a manual treadmill, um, non-motorized assault runner, and in in the process, I I hit the 12-hour world record for furthest distance run, the fastest 100-mile time ever on a manual treadmill, and the furthest distance in 24 hours. Um, so it's uh, it's still relatively new, not even uh, quite a week old, but uh, I did that in in this special edition TAM, uh, kind of a, a one-off situation. I, this, this will tell the story really well about, you know, working with these guys on like, Hey, I have this need. And so I, I had come up with this looking back, really stupid idea to run on a manual treadmill for 24 hours and, um, <clears throat> said, Hey, can we, can we figure out a road shoe situation? Um, and they're like, Sure, let's do it. Uh, and so here we are. So this is a really cool uh, one-off situation. I think a couple of our athletes, I know Liz has one. Dylan, I don't know if you have a pair too, but um, not currently scheduled or in line or anything like that. But uh, just goes to show the versatility of this shoe that we could just throw a different outsole on this and I could run 24 hours in it and, and hit these targets. And um Gosh, I, I, I can't speak high enough of this shoe to, to be able to, this is almost the exact same prototype that I, I think it is the same prototype that I ran Cruel Jewel in. Uh, and just, so to think about the same basic shoe makeup, running one of the hardest 100 mile trail races in the country, come back and run on a manual treadmill for 24 hours in basically the same shoe and have a great experience. So um, kudos to, to the fit, of course, uh, on BOA. Uh, really nice in the middle of that to, to take it off real quick and not waste time and to scratch my feet a little bit and put it back on and get, get, get running. But um, yeah, it was a great experience that, you know, can't complain about my footwear. So that's about the best you can ask for any big run. 
And I would, I would just say this is, you know, something that we like to do with our athletes, right? We're, we're not, uh, you know, we don't have this scheduled, uh, a road shoe schedule quite yet, but it's something that we're thinking about. And if we're going to do a road shoe, what would it be? Where would we position it? You know, why would we do a road shoe and, and learning about the needs from the athletes that, hey, sometimes you can't run on the trail and it'd be nice to have something that works well on the road. So whether it's something like this or we learn from this to make something else, it's just a constant process for us if we have an opportunity to again serve a particular need and learn something that might help the business down the road it's we're going to take that opportunity every time maybe one more closing question for you guys before we get to the audience it's now been what 15 18 months since the brand launched you've probably been working on it for two years macro view how does it feel to be where you are now and as guys who I think were like making product for Tom Brady and Steph Curry, like where does the GSTAM rank in terms of the products you brought to market? I mean, this is the pinnacle, right? I mean, we love this. Honestly, like this for us is something like we've never had an experience like this before. We talk about it all the time. It's, it was a great experience at the big brand and we don't, you know, we're happy we had that experience. I'll speak for Kevin right now. But uh, at the same time, working directly with with uh, Don, Dylan, Liz, and everybody we work with, it, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. And the fact that we're having these interactions and, and you know, maybe I'm going, I you know, go a little off script here, but like building real friendships here beyond just the testing. We hang out a lot as well outside of just the testing. So it's, it's, it's real. And, um, for us, you know, I would say it's really fulfilling. We feel like we're building a, a you know, a small, but a family, um, of sorts. So. Yeah, I think it's, it you know, the things like Dave said, we get to do it. Big brands were wonderful and we had great learning experiences there, but it, it's hard. It doesn't really compare to, you know, birthing your own baby and, and being a part of this culture too, you know, like it's one thing to be in love with this industry, but to kind of, you know, get into the culture and feel like you're making a difference and getting close to athletes. And there's, there's nothing that compares to that. So it's been, you know, it's terrifying to answer the question, you know, moments of, of sheer terror. Uh, well, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's fulfilling beyond that, but it, you know, it's a great adventure. And I think we're, uh, we feel ultimately really grateful to, to have this opportunity. It's amazing what you guys do on behalf of Don and myself. Thank you guys for the support. And I'm glad we could add this personal touch and you guys could actually explain the process to the world because there's so much thought and consideration. It really is like an artisan product and you feel it when you use it. Questions from the audience. Again, Dave and Kevin know everything about the industry. Dan, obviously, it's the smartest guy in the room. Don and myself might have a few smart things to say. Any questions? Uh, about product, trail running, et cetera. Go ahead. Yell it out. Um, where do you see the shoe innovative um, landscape going in the next five years? And you have a your way of shit in the next years. Well, specifically about our brand or just in general? In general. Whew. Okay, I'll take a stab at this and Kevin might have to jump in. 
One thing I'll say, I, I, and, and this is pretty well documented, and I think everybody in this room kind of sees this too, that everything goes in, um, in, in cycles, right? And everything's a reaction to, I think I've probably even had, I think Brian Metzler's in this room. I think I've had the, the conversation with people, but it, like, you know, they went from minimalist to maximalist to, um, we're kind of at the tail end of an energy cycle right now. So, you know, we're getting close to a, a new movement of sorts, if you want to call it a movement or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, and so I have my hypotheses about, um, uh, there's a lot of stuff around adaptation going on, you know, adapt or whatever you want to call it. Um, they can start to take what's great about this energy cycle. And when I say energy, I'm talking about like, you know, what the four, four percent and other things have started. And anyway, uh, so that's where I see th things going. As far as what we're doing here, um, we're kind of building a system. And so we see things like the modularity, um, and I guess that goes back to adapt a little bit as well, where you can start to tune um, your shoes. And that's why we reference equipment a lot, similar to how you can tune other pieces of equipment, right? So when you think of bikes, um, cars, um, they can be configured in different ways and they can be configured for you. And that's where we know, Kevin and I talk a lot about where we see things going and specifically for us, you know, um, I don't think it's an overshare, I'm just gonna say it because we're a very transparent company, is that, you know, already you can order the plates separately um, now that we're on the TAM from the rest of the shoe. Nobody's ever done that before, mainly probably because you, you could never do that. Um, but what happens, you could, you, you'd be able maybe to order the midsole separately as well, but what happens if you could order the whole, you could configure the whole thing separately and you could literally pick your parts and do the configuration that you want. Um, and that's, you know, when we talk about what, how we envision things and where the industry can go, it's about creating smarter product for you. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where we're building towards. Want to add anything? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's right on. I think that's what we hope to do. And part of the reason that we built this platform is to get to that point. So I think if we could fast forward a few years and we could pretend we had unlimited funds, we'd, uh, we'd have that type of shop. You come in and you walk out with a product that's optimized for you. You know, choose the foam you like. If you like the Peebacks foam, great. If you want a super critical foam, if you want something new, a 3D printed midsole, that you'd have the opportunity to try it, figure out what works best for you, ideally with some biomechanics input to verify that it's safe for you. I think there's a huge education portion to this, right? You can't just let people right today pick all these things. They wouldn't know what stiffness would be right for them in a midsole or a plate. So we kind of have to ease into it. And that's part of the reason we built it this way. And we hope to get to a point where it's, you know, that each shoe is unique and built to optimize for that particular person's type of running and where they run and, you know, their stride. So, you know, ideally we start melding these um, science and design innovations into stuff that's unique for every, every person's product. Yeah, I think one of the obvious benefits of working with these guys and on a small team is that it's very personable. I think this has gone around a number of times today, right, is text messages, things like that. The three of us spent an awesome night together in Arkansas one time even. Um, it's very easy to just story quick. For, story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, 
So, you know, with, with a small team like this, we can very quickly give feedback. And like Don said, that could be incorporated immediately. And there could even be the chance to test that or get athlete feedback immediately. With a bigger brand, a lot of times feedback means that feedback needs to go to the design and development team that then needs to get transferred over to a sample room, oftentimes somewhere in Asia. That sample room needs to interpret the feedback in a certain way, make a new sample and send it back. And sometimes that process even takes a little bit too long that we, it's a bit of an art and a science. We can't maybe test the shoe enough times for us to perfect it before it gets to market versus in this case, they really can perfect it. So it's a really cool experience and incredibly unique. Any other questions? Go ahead. I'm just going to re-summarize the question. So the question is about the fit of the shoe specifically, asking about the width of the toe box, making the observation that oftentimes in North America, you see shoes with wider toe box in Europe, narrower, if I understood you correctly. And how does that, like, what's the consideration from the boat perspective and how does the speed land fit? Dan, let's start with you. Cool. That is definitely something we see. And we've worked with brands that are primarily European centric and we work with brands that are primarily US centric. And certainly we try to adapt our configurations, again, sort of the geometries and the shapes of the panels to match whatever the rest of the shoe is trying to do. So if you do have an anatomical shaped shoe, from our perspective, that means we need to hold your instep, basically your navicular or that, that bone at the top of your foot really, really well. Because if you don't hold that well, the fact that your toes splaying could mean instability, right? If you end up with really poor heel hold and toe splay, then it just doesn't fit well. If on the other hand, you can have pretty good heel hold, you can hold the midfoot in place, but your toes can splay. For certain trails, that might be awesome, especially if a trail is a little bit more buffed out, et cetera. In contrast, if you think of some of the scrambling trails that you see very frequently in Europe or even just up the road in Boulder, maybe you do want a little bit more construction over the course of the entire shoe. So that forefoot closure might go all the way down. Um, and maybe this means that you can back off a little bit of what you're doing at the instep. I think one of the really cool things about the Speedland shoes is a lot of on the medial side near the big toe, you'll see that last panel goes pretty far forward. And I think that in conjunction with the fact that your foot does sit down, like David mentioned in the rest of the shoe, it's sort of in a bucket that provides a lot of really nice medial lateral stability but it never really feels claustrophobic. So I, I really like that it kind of strikes the, the balance there. Yeah, I think that was the key when we, <clears throat> we made a new last for, for the PDX when we first started and we looked at, again, we ran in everything and we're you know, looking really closely at fit. Um, the last is the form that the shoe's made around for anyone who's confused by that. Um, and it's, it, is, it is such a, a, a balance that you have to find, right? I think we've seen a fair amount of more anatomical or more wide-lasted shoes in trail because as you're in a shoe for a very long time and in a long race, your foot swells and there's a need for the room in there. So if you're tight in a Solomon, when you put it on, you might be really tight by the end of, you know, 10 hours or more. And so we were trying to find a balance where it was anatomic, but not sloppy. And, um, you know, some of it's super personal. If you have a very wide foot, then you might still think that we're, you know, not wide enough. Um, this is the great thing about, you know, having choice. But for us, it was finding that balance where we were performance fit, um, but acknowledging that there's foot swell and there's some of that splay that we wanted to allow. So 
I just wanted to add something that we neglected to mention, but we use the LI2 dials from BOA too, which means that you know once you tighten it, obviously it's totally secure, but it also has the ability to go the other way. So for example, I'm 10 hours into a race, my feet are swelling, I don't have to unbuckle the BOA and re-crank it down, I just crank it back and uh, can customize the fit uh, you know, really precisely in that respect. What size shoe do you wear? You should come try these on, you'll see. <laughs> these are 10 and a halfs. Any other questions? Go ahead. Thank you for the question, totally fair. So I'll, I'll tackle this first and you guys can go for it. One of the things that Dave and Kevin and I have talked about since day one is like we really wanna have a premium product but we also wanna have something that the average runner feels is a good value, right? I think there is no better value shoe on the market than the GS Tam. It's gonna retail for 275 bucks. You can use code FREETRAIL10 and get 10% off of the pre-order now though. So that brings it into 250 or so. But um, like I said, I got 600 miles on my first pair of GS Tams. I could have put another 200 into them if I wanted to. There's no other shoe on the market that will stand up in the same way. And it's because of the fact that these guys do take care to use the best materials to make it with super high quality and in, and in small quantities, you know, they have a lot of control over the quality of the product that ends up in your hands and they care about it, speaking on your behalf. But of course, $275 is a lot of money for the average person, myself included. So we take it pride in the fact that we deliver a good value for the product that you get. Comments? Yeah, I mean, for me, a lot of times when people ask, I, I always go back to, I believe, um, Kevin believes, I think Dylan believes, obviously, it delivers a better experience too. And, you know, that's whether you're running, you know, most people can't do what Dylan does, obviously, or do what Don does. But, you know, even myself, if I'm going out on a six mile run or something, it's delivering me an amazing experience and it's worth it for that, especially if it's gonna give you the mileage and, and whatnot for it. So I don't know if you wanna add on to that. Yeah. Any other questions? Got a couple, let's bang through them quick. Let's start with you. Yeah, so we've tested a ton of shoes, as Kevin said. And uh, you know, we found that having that kind of, you, it actually, obviously, because on the, it's the same setup drop-in as, as the uh, PDX and the HSV, but you're closer to the ground on those, you know, you're lifted more, obviously, on the TAM. But we found through our testing <laughs> that, because um, there's, there's plates that have been top-loaded, obviously, there's plates that have been bottom-loaded, but we found that through our testing, the ones that were bisecting a certain amount on top and a certain amount on the bottom gave us the best experience. And so that becomes a lot of trial and error. And one thing to say, the, the reason the thickness of the drop-in, um, sorry, I'm getting a little technical here, but I think it'll get after the question, is the reason it is what it is, is because you gotta control how much translation there is in the shoe, right? If it was all drop-in, and the plate was at the very bottom, there'd be too much, act. you can imagine you get too much translation in the shoe and your foot would sink too much. And so your heel heights would be all off, right? Where it's hitting you on the Achilles. So there, we've played around with the, and had the, the opportunity to really perfect it on the PDX and the HSV. So then we knew exactly how much translation we wanted inside the shoe. And we knew that bisecting it between the two foams and the two heights was the right thing to do. So, it really comes from athlete testing at the end of the day.
A couple more. Go ahead. Um, are we possibly going to see any kids versions of this? We would love to get there, and we'd love to serve that young athlete too. It's it's a question of where we are just in time right now as a small brand and and quantities. So um, we hope to get there. Yeah, be patient with us. <laughs> The next generation, Alex. I'll take this one, guys. It, it holds up just fine. Like, it, as good as any other trail shoe would. Referencing again the shoe that I put 600 miles on, the one place where you saw the wear and tear other than the shoe being totally encrusted with mud and dirt was on the lateral side of my right foot where I tend to supinate and land on the outside of my right foot rather dramatically. And so I always shave off the lugs on the right side. And I had shaved them all the way off to the point where it actually got to the foam. But again, that was after 600 miles. So it wasn't anything to where the material of the outsole was compromised or, you know, lower quality. It was simply the fact that I had put so many miles on it and my personal biomechanics. So... Really good road to trail shoe. I mean, I run on the roads in these all the time. Yeah. Maybe last one here. That's a good question. And I think, you know, Dan mentioned it. It's, it's a difficult thing to quantify on a trail because it's, it's not like the road where there's a really even rhythm and it's really predictable. The trail has so many different factors, but the, the it's a, it's a system, right? So the shape is one thing, the geometry. So the, there is a bit of a rocker to this. There's quite a bit of toe spring that gives you that kind of natural inclination to roll through the carbon offers the propulsion, particularly when you're four foot striking and running a bit faster. And, uh, then the high energy foams. So using the beaded P-backs, one of the most efficient foams out there and the super critical P-backs blend inside, give you two, two foams that are super resilient. So between all three of those things, the shape, the foam itself and the, and the carbon plate, we think that that adds up to give you about the best efficiency that you can get for a, for a trail shoe. And I mean, I, I got to mention the boa. I mean, the fit, the fit's a big part of it too. I mean, I, Dan's working hard on quantifying that one. And I think, you know, you saw in the video, that's a, certainly an important one. Um, so yeah, the system nature of this thing, I think, again, we, we broke all those components down in, in our initial thing to how do we optimize for each one of those. And, um, you know, that's the thing we'll always be chasing is optimizing each one of those traction, propulsion, cushioning, fit. That's it. Thanks everybody so much. Big round of applause for our panel here. I just want to say again, a big personal public thank you to Dave and Kevin for allowing myself and Don to contribute to this product. It's been a pleasure. It's an honor to bring it to market. And thank you also to Dan and the entire OA team for having us here tonight. It's been also a pleasure to work with you guys. We appreciate the support for Free Trail and with Speedland. It really means a lot. And we really appreciate you all. Thank you for coming out. Love you very much. Thanks to our panel. Thanks to Boa for hosting. Thanks to Dave and Kevin for making me a signature shoe. It's so freaking cool. Lifetime goal achieved. Visit runspeedland.com and pre-order the GSTAM now. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off your order. Also, visit boafit.com. Check out the best fit system on the planet. 
I really love doing these live pods and panel discussions. We plan to do more in the future, maybe do a tour of trail towns around the country. We'll see. Anyway, appreciate you all for being here. Thanks for listening. Love you dearly. Talk to you very soon. Bye-bye.